We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The names behind the numbers. The stories behind the names. This is the Her Hoop Stats Podcast with John Little. It's kind of like easing into a hot bath. It's a little bit at a time where you can't necessarily pinpoint the moment that you feel comfortable. I know that I don't get nervous before games now. And I can remember that I was absolutely terrified before my first time ever on live television. The biggest newsmakers, the best storytellers, the Her Hoop Stats podcast. Here's your host, John Little. Hey there, welcome in to the Her Hoop Stats podcast. Sit right down, pull up a chair. I'm John Little, your host. And no, you're the one recording your podcast open underneath your middle daughter's comforter in her room for sound absorbency. That's that's you doing that, not me. Great to have you along. Um, yeah, make sure to rate and review the podcast. It really helps people find the show. And I know you're aware. I can see by the numbers you know about the Courtside Podcast with Christy and Gabe. You know about the Unplugged Podcast with Megan and her guests uh, every week as well. So make sure to pop by those too. Leave a rating, leave a review. It helps other people find the show and grow women's basketball. This week on the show, I've got Anne-Marie Anderson, the voice of the Las Vegas Aces. And we get into the Aces season, but we also get into Anne-Marie's career. She's got a really cool, interesting career path, uh, more than three decades in sports, almost two decades now as a play-by-play announcer. We get into how she developed that skill and how she decided to go after that in her career. And boy, She has carved out a great career for herself doing so. So it's an AMA with AMA. Here's Anne-Marie Anderson. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm so happy to be back for year four of the Aces. Absolutely. It is a tremendous time of year, an exciting time of year. Overall, what excites you most uh, about this season for a team that, you know, is kind of 
half new and half returning and obviously very promising last year in the Wubble. Yeah, for sure. I mean, first of all, what excites me the most about this season in general is, of course, it's the 25th year. It's the longest uh, ever women's pro league in any sport. So the sustained success of the W is something that uh, we as the Aces plan to celebrate all season long. And I think you'll see that throughout our broadcast, starting from the Utah Stars, Dallas Stars, and then through the Las Vegas Aces. And then for the Aces, what really has me thrilled, and there's been a lot of coverage on it, is, you know, when you look at the starting lineup of the finals last year and then the opener this year, only Asia Wilson is the only player who started in the finals last year and the opener this year. So there's a lot of unknowns with the Aces and super talented players. So seeing the way that they're going to come together uh, as the weeks progress uh, has me just kind of on the edge of my seat. And so after the first game, you know, it was a, um, a back and forth first quarter, but then the the storm ended up pulling away. What were the top things that you took out of that one from a positive perspective? Well, I mean, from a positive perspective, I, I believe that Chelsea Gray had only had maybe four practices. It could have been even less before then, and it's now up to four as of today. So I think I what you saw a lot of in the Aces was the individual talent, but not yet melded together. But I have to tell you, the thing that's really caught my eye there, I wondered how Liz Cambage and Asia Wilson were going to share space down low. What was that going to look like? And I think that looked really good, that um, Asia stepping out, hitting her first ever career three as a pro, um, was exciting, but now it's a new level of problem, if you will, for Ace's opponents because Liz and Asia have uh, terrific spacing, and that's going to be something that is going to be really frustrating, I think, for opponents in the weeks and months to come. Yeah, the league better watch out. And then, of course, Liz over the years have, has tried to develop her three-point game as well, and she can step out every once in a while. If if you never know when those two are going to be at a given time, it really could help spread out the offense. But I, I think what you're saying is as well, I mean, there are just so many new facets to this team that we may not get a full vision of what this team could possibly be until midway in the season or later. Oh, I think that's absolutely true. I mean, first of all, you know, you've got those two we talked about, but then that moves De'Erica Hamby over to the three. And, of course, we all remember the shot in 2019 at the buzzer that was such a thriller in, in the playoffs. And then we're not going to know what this team is going to look like because Kelsey Plum is going to have to step away for a bit and try to see if they can get the three, um, three team to qualify for the United States to represent in the Olympics. So Plum stepping out and then coming back in is going to be really interesting because while she's out, this guard-heavy team is going to be able to develop some other guards, including rookie Destiny Slocum. And so when Plum comes back in, there's just such incredible depth beyond the arc that is going to really be challenging to defend along with the large presence inside of Cambage, Asia Wilson, et cetera. And that just hasn't really been there um, over the last few years, has it? I, I mean, there have been games where you're not even making a, a three-point shot in, in a game if you're the Aces, which obviously is uh, counterintuitive to where the game is is going, but obviously it's been effective at the same time. Yeah, 
Yeah, well, it depends, right? I mean, Bill, I've learned Bill Lambert is really methodical over the years. He, he's very calm, especially in his early season uh, losses, because they're just learning experiences there. And so he was focused on some other things. I asked him repeatedly in year one, maybe about the three-point shot, and he wasn't concerned about that. Uh, what I've learned in working with Bill Lambert is that he is tackling one problem at a time, one um, strength at a time. He's very linear. And so I think this year you'll see more three-point shooting. But believe me, it is all by design. Bill is truly brilliant, I believe. And I'm not just saying that because I work for him. But in terms of the way he approaches the game, he's taught me so much in terms of the way that he sees it and the prioritizing that he does of uh, different aspects of the game. What other things do you think that we might end up seeing from the Aces as this season goes on? If it's not just the three-point line, what has Bill told you about what he wants to see develop early in this year for this team? Well, again, Bill keeps everything close to the vest. He's done the public Zooms, uh, all of which I've been on, but I do know that he's really pleased with what Jisoo Park uh, is going to bring this year. She has gotten better and better. She is by far the best player in South Korea. Um, She's now 22 years old. You know, she was 19 when she came to this team. Um, And at that point, didn't speak much English at all. So she's really come along in terms of the way that she has progressed. I mean, if you think of her as a 19-year-old trying to defend, you know, Griner and Fowles and Tina Charles and and going against Liz Cambage and practice every day, the work that she learned very early, I think you're really going to see her. And I've been told not just by Bill Lambeer, but by her fellow teammates that she's taken it up another level, including Liz Cambage has talked about Jisoo Park. So I think what you're going to see is even with just 10 available players on the roster right now, some incredible depth because you have several bigs. You have a a really guard-heavy team. It almost seems impossible to have all these pieces with just 10 rosters. And then you have several people that can fill into different roles, right? Kelsey Plum in these first two games is coming off the bench. And she's doing that for a couple of reasons. One, you know, she's going to go away for three on three, you know, so that's one way you could read into it. I'm not saying Bill said that, but the other way and that Bill said is Plum can go into the one, she can go into the two, she can be a three-point shooter, she can get the ball in her hands. So he's got a lot of uh, ability to have some moving parts that he hasn't necessarily had in years past. Obviously, trying to get over the loss of Angel McCautry, it dealt a blow. That tested this team early on when it comes to that versatility. And pretty much immediately, we see Bill Lambeer not willing to throw De'Erica Hamby into the starting lineup. He loves her coming off the bench. Why, even when there's that need there, and, and maybe when, obviously, she's the next best player, does he continue to insist on, no, this is what we do, Erica Hamby off the bench. I love it, and that's what we're going to do. Well, I can't begin to read Bill Lambert's uh, mind on that, so I can't answer why he, um, you know, really insists on a, a certain role for a certain player. I do know that Raquana Williams, as a guard in her ninth year, stepping into that role. I mean, she has been with so many different teams that she has learned to, um, you know, adapt quickly. 
And Dierka is great in that role. I mean, sixth woman of the year. And and Bill said, look, I don't know, between Hamby and Plum, they can fight it out for sixth woman of the year coming off the bench. So again, you know, if you're going to be a part of Bill Lambeer's team, or honestly a part of any team in any sport, in my opinion, it really starting means nothing. It really doesn't. Um, it's the way that the lineups work. It's a way that, that a team wants to um, present themselves at first. Some people uh, really enjoy seeing the flow of the game, uh, analyzing it from the side and then from the sideline and then going in and attacking the weaknesses that they've observed in the first five minutes. So uh, for Hamby, she has certainly proven that when she comes in, she is an injection of incredible energy uh, to that team and uh, rebounding especially. And I, I love for her that she's going to be a little bit more on the three because she has a, a beautiful mid-range game. What do you know about um, how the situation is going to be there in Las Vegas at home? I, I'm sure it's like every place. It's going to be in flux, but how is it going to start this season from a fan perspective? My understanding is that I believe what I had read was 2,000 people will be allowed in. I don't know if it's season ticket holders or not. I, I'm not completely clear on it. I know that, I know that the fans are central to Mark Davis's uh, vision. And I believe that, that the tickets uh, are not going to be, they're not going to charge for the tickets this year. I, I, that is what I have read. Um, I have to be a little bit careful in terms of making sure that I'm up to date on the, the most recent releases. But that is the last I've heard. The fan experience in Las Vegas is unlike any other. It is uh, the house. We always call it the hottest house party of the summer. And um, I know that the fans are anxious to get back in there. Uh, the Aces are doing everything they can to figure out what exactly that's going to look like. Um, but I, I can't say that I'm completely up to date in terms of how many and how. Um, I just know in talking with President Nikki Fargus, um, General Manager Dan Padover, that it is a big priority. As fans are central to the Aces experience. It's part, part of what makes playing in that arena so special. Absolutely made the All-Star Game special a, a couple of years back as well. One of the best experiences that the players had ever had. It just felt like there was just a ton of momentum specifically in Vegas. And then, you know, obviously the pandemic. It's not just uh, the WNBA's influence there, but the tourist aspect of things as well. It's been a tough time, uh, but it seems like uh, fans are, are ready to come back and be a part of it. Oh, for sure. I mean, the fans are ready. We all have been ready, right? But we want to be responsible and, and wait till, you know, the right time and certainly keep the athletes safe. I know that there's a lot of protocols in place. Um, I have talked to a lot of the players through the um, scheduled Zooms about their time in Seattle uh, and how in the hotel, they're just in their room for six days. And uh I think that while the fans are ready, there is um, a real uh, emphasis on safety and security, not only for the players, but for the fans as well. So they're ready. They're going to take it slowly and appropriately. Um, nothing is more important to Mark Davis as the new owner of the Aces than the safety uh, of the fans in particular. I mean, Mark Davis, I you know, he sat – they're at courtside for nearly every game inside what was then the Mandalay Bay Events Center 
um, cheering on. So he's the biggest fan there is. So he understands wanting to be in the arena and see the team live. I'm just curious to hear how you ended up getting the job with the Aces. Tell me that story, because obviously you're a well-known broadcaster and you've been on that coast and in the the Mountain West region for a long time. How did you, I don't want to say luck out, obviously you deserved it, but uh, there's only one awesome job. Only one person gets to have it and you get to have it. How did that work work out for you? Well, that's nice of you to say. I mean, it, certainly, you know, we define we define luck as preparation meeting opportunity, right? And so, while I am on the West Coast now, I began my broadcasting career at 21 years old at ESPN on the East Coast in Bristol, Connecticut, where I was a uh, hired for a six month production assistant job, temporary for fifteen thousand dollars a year. And uh, I stayed there for 23 years in different capacities as I went on to be a, an assignment editor, an associate producer. Oh, you hear my dog. So obviously, you know, I'm at home. Yeah. What's his name? His name is Baxter. And my kids have done a great job settling him down right now. Almost. Uh, his name is Baxter. He's rescued. And so uh, he takes his job protecting the house uh, very seriously. That is uh, awesome. Bless you. So, yes, back to ESPN. So ESPN, I um, worked my way through assignment editor, associate producer, feature producer, field producer, and then left Connecticut to become Los Angeles bureau producer for Sports Center and San Francisco bureau producer, and then moved to Denver and uh, opened up what was basically a one-person bureau then. And at that time, I decided uh, that I wanted to try to make the move to in front of the camera. And ESPN was incredibly supportive. And I uh, was able to kind of uh, produce during the week and do college football sidelines on the weekend. In fact, many weekends, I did college football sidelines on camera on Saturday and then helped produce our NFL coverage on Sundays and uh, and sometimes Monday Night Football as well. And then eventually, you know, my bosses told me, you're never really going to be able to embrace and uh, improve on air the way you want to until you put everything into it. And so I left producing altogether, which was really challenging for me. I, I loved my job producing and and I produced for some of the best and biggest names at ESPN. Robin Roberts is still a very dear friend of mine. And I worked with Chris Berman a lot and Chris Fowler is a, a close friend uh, as well. And just went into full-time uh, on-camera work and decided in 2003, it was, I believe, that play-by-play uh, play is where I want it to be. I enjoy the action of the game, and I enjoy not knowing how it's going to turn out. You always think you know how it's going to turn out. You see the stats, you see the records, you see the personnel, but you don't know. And so I have I have enjoyed that. And so when the Aces called a few years ago and asked me if I'd be interested, I absolutely jumped at the chance. It has been um, just a terrific gig, as we say, 
uh, in the business, a wonderful organization to work with. Well, you went through the entire step-by-step process there. So if, uh, yeah, you're a young broadcaster wanting to get started, that's exactly your path, right? No, no, we all have different paths. And also, you can go the other way, too. You can go behind the camera to on camera, but I always tell people the other path is if you want to go on camera immediately, you go small market and you learn there, you know, maybe Pocatello, Idaho, and, and move that way. So I tell them there's different paths for everybody. My path was my path, but... You know, when people ask for advice, I said, your your path will present itself. I've got a million questions, Anne-Marie, so get ready. Okay. okay. So when you decided to go from that, that it was your goal to go from behind the camera to in front of the camera and you started to get a taste of that and they come to you and they're like, listen, I mean, if you want this, you got to really dig in. Uh, is part of what you were referring to there, is it being difficult? Was it was it a financial thing where, you know, you're kind of steady, full-time doing this, it's paying X number of dollars, and now you got to step back a little bit for a moment in order to hopefully move forward? Or or what was the part, toughest part of that there? Uh, it wasn't financial. Certainly the step back financially. I'm, I'm fortunate that I was raised by parents who, uh, although we certainly didn't have a lot of money, always taught us how to manage our money. So I always lived beneath my means. So I have been blessed to never make a decision based on finance. And it has been a huge blessing. I've never taken a job because of money. Um, So it wasn't that, it was, you need reps. If you're gonna get good on camera, you need reps. Uh, I've been doing this for a long time now, and still, when I get off the air, I re-watch every game I do, and um, like anybody else, I I don't enjoy that. I don't like hearing the sound of my own voice. Um, I look for mistakes. I think, okay, maybe it's not a mistake necessarily, but someplace I could have been smoother, and um, that was the part, that if you're going to get good at it, you have to do it a lot. And I have had many years where I've called you know, 96 live events a year. That's, I think, uh, between 85 and 95 events a year for many years because I don't just call basketball, right? Just I, I call men's and women's college basketball in the WNBA, but I also call a variety of other sports as well. And um, that's the only way really to get good at this job is to keep pushing yourself. I still push myself to learn new sports and add them in when I can. That's just wonderful. And uh, I mean, you're just speaking my language right now, so I'm just going to keep diving in. 2003, you decide that play-by-play, that's the angle you wanted to go. Whenever any of us start off with some kind of new aspect, a new skill set we're trying to add, there's a while where we feel like a fish out of water, like this is never going to feel comfortable. At what point did you feel comfortable in that role? Gosh, that's such a great question because I don't remember a moment, right? It's kind of like easing into a hot bath. It's a little bit at a time where you can't necessarily pinpoint the moment that you feel comfortable. I know that I don't get nervous before games now. And I can remember that I was absolutely terrified before my first time ever on live television. But I can't remember kind of when the bathwater felt comfortable. It was somewhere in there. It isn't, it isn't a moment. It is uh, a matter of, of building confidence and, uh, you know, getting a little maybe less nervous as things went along until you feel com- completely confident and competent to be there. What are you watching for now that um, 
you are, my goodness, almost 20 years into your play-by-play. What are you watching for now, kind of those key things that you're trying to pick out of every game? When I'm self-critiquing, you mean? Exactly. A variety of things. Am I being as crisp to break as I'd like? Am I being efficient with my words? Am I giving my analyst enough space? Am I not helping my analyst enough? It depends on the level of experience of my analyst. Um, Am I being colorful enough with my words without being cute? Um, You know, you don't want to use the same phrase every time. You You wouldn't say, you know, shot every time. You would mix it up, right? That they have a bucket, that they hit it, that they nailed it. It, it a, a matter of, of using enough variety of words to keep the viewer uh, somewhat interested. I, I don't consider myself as play-by-play as entertaining the person. The, the analyst, the athletes are the star, and the analyst is the person that I'm trying to help shine and set up. So I'm listening. Am I asking them enough questions? Am I helping them uh, really display their knowledge. Those are some of the things I still look for. What's the sport that you did not realize you were going to enjoy as much as you enjoy broadcasting it, if that makes any sense? Maybe you were really new to it at first. You come in, you get wet, the feet wet in there, and now you're like, man, I'm, I'm, I consider myself a fan of this sport. Uh, I love all sports, but I, you know, I'm still new to water polo. I have called very little water polo. My middle child plays water polo. And so when I got the opportunity to call a little bit of water polo, I called uh, Tony Azevedo, who's a five-time Olympian and a good friend, who was getting into broadcasting. And I asked him if he wanted to work with me. And I figured between my confidence in being able to manage a broadcast, the ins and outs, the pace, and all of that, and his knowledge of the game, which is, you know, he's the most decorated uh, American Olympian in water polo ever, we could really mesh together as a team. And right before we went on air, I said to Tony, are you nervous? And he said, yes. And I said, good, then you're doing it right. Let's go get it. And (laughs) that's been a lot of fun. Uh, I hope to be able to pair up with him again. I I like being uncomfortable. I think that's one of the things that's different maybe about me than some other people. I, I thrive on the feeling of being uncomfortable. I have as I mentioned to you when I went through my path as a Simon editor and feature producer and field producer, you could tell that I kept pushing myself into uncomfortable positions. Um, I don't know why that is, but I thrive on, you know, feeling that energy and excitement still. And so that's why I keep trying to find new ways to do things and new sports to do and, you know, new partners to work with. I just love it. Anne-Marie, my gosh, this is uh, this is what I was hoping it would be. Just uh, great stuff so far. I just really appreciate it. So what's the what's the career goal in play-by-play that you look to that you're like, man, that's the next one for me, and I, and I hope I get the opportunity to do it one day? Or, I mean, you've done a heck of a lot through 18 years. Are, are you kind of beyond that thought process, and you're just like, well, whatever comes next? Well, yeah, I mean, it's been, you know, I guess 18 years on camera. It's been 32 years total right. Right. in yeah. television. Um, I can tell you one thing for sure. I'd love to be with the Aces for at least 10 years. I've, I've had that in my head. I absolutely love the W, and I am committed to doing my part 
in helping promote this league and helping it grow. And that, I mean, that is just something that is so important to me um, is being able to grow this league. As I mentioned, when you heard my dog barking that I'm a mother and I have young children who play sports and I believe greatly in the power of sports to teach life and uh, teamwork and life lessons and such. So I don't have a goal in terms of, I want to do this event. I, when I was a producer, I was blessed with, you know, I covered six Olympic games and heavyweight title fights and NBA playoffs and, and uh, golf's majors. Um, so, you know, I'd like to go to the Kentucky Derby one day. Um, <laughs> that would be fun. That's one event I haven't done, but it feels you know, like I have been to every other major event, I covered Super Bowls as well. Um, so I don't, I don't necessarily pick out one thing I want to call. I just want to get better at the jobs with which I'm tasked. And I feel like, uh, this sounds very, you know, earthy crunchy, but I, I feel like the universe will present me with the other opportunities as I'm ready for them. I'm all about that. So I love that as well. Uh, Emery, thank you so much for the time today on this. Thanks for being a voice for the WNBA, for women's basketball. And congratulations on everything you've done so far. And we look forward to seeing what's next. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoy your work so much and uh, I use it. So it's a great product. That's Anne-Marie Anderson here on the Haroop Stats podcast. A million thanks. I really enjoyed talking to her. Uh, man, uh, so many great topics we got into there and a lot of nuggets in there for fans, for broadcasters, for, I don't know, just people, just some great life advice in general. Make sure to hit that subscribe button so you know when we put out another show on the feed. We got Gabe and Christy with Courtside. They'll be coming up a little bit later on this week, along with Megan Gower's Unplugged podcast with whoever her guest might be this week. Just content that will help you better enjoy this WNBA season. The announcer on the Her Hoop Stats podcast is Susie Solis. Our music by Jared Deck, jareddeckmusic.com. And our executive producer is Aaron Barzilai. I'm John Little reminding you at the Her Hoop Stats podcast, we are unlocking better insight about the women's game. Her Hoop Stats. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.